Intro, um, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Uh, I'm joined by, well, I guess you do you want to introduce yourself if you want, and then we can take it from there. So, yeah, cheers. Thanks, Alfie. So, yeah, um, so I'm Mark Kent, and uh, uh, basically, yeah, my job at the moment is like working with, um, well, has been for a long time, working with runners around the world. And um, basically, the mission is to try and help as many runners and as many uh, uh, clinicians and coaches as possible uh to uh, to keep runners injury free um but not using sort of like um you know manual treatment but really just using uh technology as smartly as possible um and in particular wearable technology which has come come on in leaps and bounds in the last uh 15 or so years so yeah i work um specifically on a, a piece of kit called runscribe and um and hopefully we can sort of like lift a little bit i guess today on in our discussion about what on earth is runscribe um, there's definitely uh, some products that have come around in the last like 10 years that people will know, like, um, you know, pretty popular stuff. Uh, one in particular, pretty popular amongst runners and triathletes. And um, we do something slightly different. So, um, yeah, so I guess as we get into it, I can sort of explain a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you on. Um, a lot of people tend to like these podcasts where it's from it's not really from an athlete's like perspective. It's more from like a technical point of view, like we've had coaches on. Uh, before and they're, they're usually the best podcast because it's a bit more of like a insight into what's going on uh, would you just like to give a bit of a background of Runscribe and just sort of tell us where you're up to and how how long you've been going for etc yeah totally so Runscribe originally came about in uh, 2013 so um, it was actually founded by my colleague uh, Tim and um, and he's based uh, in California so just outside what we kind of call Silicon Valley I guess uh, on the coast there and um, yeah, so it was originally uh, 2013, and then um, the concept behind it was like uh, you know, he had a background in 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 uh, as been an engineer and just kind of coding stuff up. And um, but he was also like a pretty uh, pretty decent uh, road cyclist as well. And um, he'd had people say to him, "Hey, look, uh, would you do something for running?" So he's like, "Hey, like I've got all these um, ideas um, around you know uh, producing different metrics that might mean something." So originally the idea was just like produce a product pretty much out of the garage and then just see at least locally, if not like domestically in the US, did anyone actually care about it? Like, was it actually useful for anyone? So in 2014, um, I had a, like a Kickstarter uh, uh, project, you know, raise a bit of money, just like get things off the ground, get the um, piece of kit into, into production. And um, so 14 was like when you could first start buying it and not really like much of a constraint to be honest with you it's like right here's a website here's a price you can hit this button and buy now it doesn't matter who you are just totally kind of free for all um and then uh see who goes for it and uh um uh, yeah and over the years like it's just kind of built more and more functionality like more metrics it just started off really simple like it was just like okay which part of the foot are you, are you landing on and striking the ground with um and then maybe like uh you know something about how much shock is going into the body or and how what your contact time is how long you're on the ground for um and then it's kind of just snowballed after that because people have come along and said hey like would you add this metric or do this and then uh because we're way too nice and probably not like business savvy enough we just kind of add stuff <laughs> we're like yeah sure <laughs> and uh i think today we like compute about 42 something like that metrics um from from a single run which can be like however long you decided to run for or that or you or you recorded a runner for and um so yeah it's kind of um kind of like a hopefully like works for a lot of different people because we've had um 
over the years, um, obviously individual runners uh, go for it. Then we've had um, clinicians, especially physios and podiatrists go for it. Um, and then we've had um, uh, various relationships with the running shoe manufacturers over the years. Um, so pretty much any running shoe manufacturer you care to name, they, they've used the system at some point. Um, and, uh, and then obviously like the universities as well. Uh, I can't actually keep count of like how many universities, but it's um, maybe dozens of universities around the world that have used it too. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously these, I, I, I don't want to say the word competitors, because obviously, like you said, you do provide a bit of a different um, sort of metrics, but most of them you look at the metrics of power as pretty much the generic standpoint one. Um, yeah. What sort of metrics do you sort of specialize in or kind of focus on in, in terms of room scribes? Like? Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that. Yeah. So we've got like, uh, I, I call them like a sort of parallel group, you know, like in Boulder, Colorado, uh, beginning with uh, beginning with S. Um, and they kind of started around the same time, really, like 2013. I was actually working with Garmin at the time. And uh, that's how I first heard of them because um, uh, they actually didn't have the, the power meter at that point. It was just an idea. And they had to piggyback Garmin's uh, um, protocol in order to even um, get the product to work. So that was the first I heard about them. Uh, but yeah, that was in 13. Um, and obviously they set, their, they set their plan out like real clear from day one. It's like, it's all about power. It's about performance and, and can power replace or add to like what exists already with pace and heart rate and stuff. Um, so we never, although we started at the same time, went on a similar parallel journey, we knew straight away, like we didn't want to, that wasn't for us. Like we didn't want to go down the um, pure performance route and kind of left it to, to them. Um, so the big difference between the philosophies is like, they have a single foot pod, uh, power meter that goes on just like whatever side of the foot, like left or right. Um, whereas for us, we wanted to collect from both. So that's been the big kind of defining difference between the two products is Runscribe. It's all about like what's happening on the left and the right, because, um, there's some pretty decent evidence out there um, that's held true over the years that there is a link. Um, it's not exactly like pure, like one plus one equals two, but there is a link between uh, what's happening left and right. So bilaterally uh, to your chance of getting injured. And um, I never forget, actually, um, I had the pleasure of like doing some, doing some um, stuff down in Oregon in the past and working in the, in, in the Portland uh, Pace uh, clinic and gym there where Dave McHenry and the Matt Walsh are based. And, um, and I remember Dave saying, actually, who was, of course, the uh, physio, for anyone who doesn't know, he was the physio for, for years, looked after Mo Farrell when he was there with Galen Rupp uh, training in Oregon. I remember Dave sort of saying this point, like he'd been through all the literature and was like, you know, uh, one of the first indicators of like somebody's heading in the wrong direction, like functionally and getting injured is, is this idea of asymmetry. And especially he was referring to something called ground reaction force, but there's other asymmetries you can look at too. So that was kind of a key philosophy for us to say, okay, that's what we're going to do. Um, and so we really look at like adding metrics that are all about injury prevention and um, predicting is, is someone heading towards an injury, which is like incredibly difficult, notoriously difficult to do. And we're still sort of picking it apart even today, um, but getting sort of closer and closer down at, uh, to that um, like almost near impossible sort of target. Whereas I think, yeah, the other products out there, um, especially what like you say, like power meter products, Obviously, they're going for performance. There's some other stuff that's popped up uh, in the last like six years as well, where it gets into kind of like insole technology. So you either have to like replace the insole that's in your shoe, or or put the insole underneath your existing insole, uh, which is even more complicated. Uh, so we're not we're not kind of going that way because um, we wanted a product that you could just like throw it on your shoes or anyone else's shoes, and you didn't have to like muck around with the insoles or the inside of the shoe or like start cutting things to sides. So we we didn't really want to do that. So um. Um, the one like major thing we've had like since day one is 
you've got to be able to get the product onto onto the runner uh like in less than 60 seconds i think mm-hmm. um because you can imagine i mean you're you're an athlete and like a lot of athletes listen to this i mean i've worked with so many like thousands of runners over the years and you know like if they've just done a warm-up <laughs> you know and just spent like 40 minutes doing this like awesome warm-up and then you're there like by the side of the track just mucking around with technology and they just stood there doing nothing it's like that's a great way to really like sort of <laughs> really annoy the runner right <laughs> Yeah, you have to change your shoes and then take another five minutes changing the football around. It would be a bit of a nightmare, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so that I, was a big um, thing for us, yeah. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, I never got the point of just one footballer because the amount, of, the amount of difference, like you said, like between one and one foot and the other is quite a substantial difference. So I never really understood that. And I think it's a lot better if you actually have it on two feet because you do run with two feet, believe it or not, or most of the time anyway. So... I think that's something what's definitely a key factor. What you really need to consider is like you're only getting half the data if you're having it on one foot. Um, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I thought about it like many times. Like it's just kind of passed through my mind like over the years of like hmm, it's kind of intriguing. Like because some people do try and use the power, the single power meter for um, for predicting if they're going to get injured or not. Um, and for overtraining, I can I can see that I can figure that relationship. Um, but yeah, it's like funny. It's like what if I put it on my left foot? But actually, my left foot, my left side is actually fine. It's the right side I need to get the data from. <laughs> it's sort of interesting. Eh? Right. Exactly. And even in like distance, like if, if, if your left foot is turning, like if you're running around a track and it's on your right foot, every single lap's going to be a foot longer, like every, every single step. So <laughs> it's a bit different. Um, so what sort of metrics, like, like, I guess they're more technical as well. So it's not really some metrics as well. It's more like visual representation. I've seen from your Instagram recently being shown like almost like heat maps. They look like I can't really. Could you, could you go a bit more detail about them? And then I'll stick when we advertise this podcast on Instagram, I'll stick some graphics up and some pictures of what we're actually talking about. So people can get a visual representation, but you're right. Just sort of going through them a bit. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, originally in, in way back in the day, we just like started churning out numbers, uh, no real kind of idea of like how to make it visual. Um, and we had a lot of like really geeky clients or customers and it was like, okay, that's what they wanted. Um, but yeah, over the years we tried to make it more visual and, um, probably the one that you've seen that you're um, probably thinking of in your head. Um, we do have, um, a pretty cl- kind of clever plot, which looks like you're kind of looking down on your feet basically. And, um, and it is kind of like a heat map in a way. It's got um, a whole bunch of color points uh, for your left foot and for your right foot. And what it's actually showing in the color points is it's showing where it is actually um, position-wise under the foot that you've, you've been striking the ground. And then also where you've been leaving the ground on the toe off as well. And uh, we try and make the colors like really dead obvious so you can separate out the foot strike and the toe off areas re- really clearly. Um, and what you can see like, then like visually is you can just instantly see left and right and whether there's symmetry between the two sides or not. You know, are you striking uh, the ground and then like turn off from the ground in exactly the same places in the left and right side. Um, but we actually plot every single strike that you had in your recorded run. So the dots almost sort of accumulate on top of each other, which makes the color even brighter. So you can really see where like, where that kind of like middle area is. Um, and then about uh, a year ago, we were kind of like, you know, kind of, messing around a little bit, kind of experimenting. And um, uh, we, we kind of looked at this thing, this idea of ride for a long time. So, that, so people would have heard this idea of ride all the time. And there's even shoes, right? Called ride shoes, like Saucony, whatever, um, shoes. And it's like, what on earth is ride? But well, I think from talking to people, most runners don't actually understand what it is. Um, they've got maybe like a feel for it, but they don't know actually what that means. So it actually turns out um, 
work's been done to actually sort of like identify what actually is ride. So it's actually how smoothly you transition in the shoe from the initial foot strike to the toe off. So if you look at the runner like side on, you imagine like looking at the shoe side on, um, the shoe is obviously going to rotate, you know, because like when you get to the toe off, just before toe off, the heel is going to come off the ground. So the shoe is going to rotate in that, in that side view, which we call sagittal plane. And how that rotation, how smoothly it happens from the foot strike to the toe off and how you sort of rocker and roll through in the contact is basically what ride is. So you can have like when people will say like this shoe's got a really smooth ride or this, this hasn't got a smooth ride. So that's how smoothly you're, you're transitioning through and rocking through from the, from the strike to the toe off. And it's actually, you can actually quantify it, which is what we tried to do about a year ago. And that was our sort of second kind of heat map looking thing um so basically yeah it's kind of got bright spots where someone's uh transitioning really fast like really suddenly so someone can see immediately uh again left is the same as right or different from the right and then it, it actually almost replaces like what people might have seen already about about pressure mapping um because you get you can actually get the trace of of the kind of central line from the foot strike to the toe off area um so yeah so um Anyway, for anyone that wasn't in, wasn't aware, like what actually is ride? There you go. That's what ride is. Yeah. I guess it's quite interesting to look at as well. Like when an athlete fatigues throughout a session, I'm guessing it changes quite a lot. Is is that like a you, pattern what gets picked up? That's a really brilliant thing. Um, and you know, like I've spoken to some clinicians and other people <laughs> who haven't even picked up on that, and you've picked up on it like straight off. Um, yeah. So um, it's a funny thing like that. So the whole point of um, wearable tech, and certainly for our, our runscribe tech, is you know you you measuring people outside. Like you know the old days is like just on the treadmill, indoors, controlled conditions. Um, we can measure people for up to fifteen hours straight outside, so they can be doing a trail ultra in the mountains, and we can record the entire thing. And um, and exactly that's the whole power of it, right? Is if you stick someone on a treadmill, it, it generally doesn't work that way in a clinic or in a shoe store. You're not going to fatigue somebody because you're not running them for long enough, you know, to see what you want to see. But when you record them outside in their own time, maybe over the course of like a marathon or a week of training or whatever, it's exactly right. Like you can see the fatigue effects. And one of the interesting things I've seen, like from, you know, more than 4,000, um, you know, uh, uh, gait analyses now um, is exactly that. Like what's the first breakdown? So when the form breaks and then obviously their mechanics break as well, like, what is that first break? Because it's telling you something, assuming there's no weird external factors, then it's telling you something about what their weakest point is functionally in the body and like, what's the first thing to go. And if you can figure out what metrics relate to that, then you can track those metrics, of course, over time. Um, and it's kind of a funny one. It's because um, uh, as you can imagine, like if you measure somebody in a, in a physio clinic, for example, runners come in, if they're already recently injured, then when you measure their gait, it's uh, it's a bit of a pain in the butt because you, are you measuring like what's functionally wrong with them or are you just actually seeing asymmetry because this, they've only just been recently injured and they're just kind of like don't want to load a side of the body or something like that. Um, whereas one of the really powerful things is, is to measure somebody when they're not injured, when they're actually completely healthy and feeling good because um, then you get a baseline because you know what healthy looks like. And then when you know what healthy looks like, then you can start to track things and see when they deviate away from healthy. But unfortunately, in a classic clinic setting, people, I mean, you probably know, runners know, like 
you only go to like a physio if you're like really stuck and and if you're really stuck then you're already, you know there's no you're not going to be pick not going to be measured in a healthy baseline sense so um that often you know causes a problem for for those professional users sorry if anyone couldn't hear any background noise my my cousin and my sister are going mental so just ignore that <laughs> um but yeah the thing i find interesting is if you like you said if you are injured and you go into a physio and maybe you're recovering from that injury and you get in like gait analysis done or whatever it's when you're in a situation where you're either recovering or you're injured so you're gonna run differently whereas this yeah. you can almost tell if you, if even if so, i'm guessing you can almost tell if one side of your leg is getting tighter because it'll just change from you'll get used to the data and you'll be yeah. able to tell when this is this has changed how, yeah. how how much does it vary between shoes with like rockers or like big rockers and plates and stuff because i can imagine yeah it's, this <laughs> it's a really good point so i won't i definitely not sugarcoat it you know like um some people have come out with some really simplistic products over the years and we've often in the run scrub just kind of watched from a distance to see what happens and um fundamentally it doesn't work right because um uh there's a lot of factors at play so you just mentioned one right which is the shoe like what what shoe is the person wearing if they go to a clinic and they do a gait analysis for example they do a gait analysis on themselves is that the shoe they normally wear outside like is that the shoe that's going to cause a problem you know um then you've got other other factors too like uh, the environment you're running in obviously um is that is that part of the problem um so there's a lot of different yeah a lot of different things going on and um and so basically the only real solution is to measure like a ton of metrics because it's the only way that you can you can discount some stuff that's, that, that you know like that's not a problem that's consistent that's not an issue um so whenever we've tried to like strip it back down to like oh we just have like four metrics or five metrics it doesn't really work uh because you just there's just too many unknowns out there and you could just think that you know what's going on but you've got a blind spot because you haven't seen something else that's actually the real driver of it um so you're right like shoes do play a role and um you know kind of as we sort of mentioned early on yeah we've had a lot of dealings with shoe companies and trying to help shoe companies um you know we work today um uh, quite closely with um with ultra for example in the us and um uh yeah so it's the shoes definitely have uh, have a role um and there's no question if you do something dramatic to the shoe it can absolutely affect the person's gait um but it, we had this discussion actually like kind of internally with a bit of a group of us a few months back it does seem as if like from all the testing data that we've seen there's almost like two types of runner and it's like a real broad categorization right obviously it's not really just two types of runner but just to conceptually it's you can break it into two rough groups which is um there seems to be really kind of strong uh runners who can overpower the shoe and then there's a whole bunch of others who are sensitive runners who can you really see the data move and shift when you change them in the shoe um so I've done some stuff like, uh, you know, studies with like dozens of runners for different shoe companies or stores and seen that this is the case. Like, um, uh, in fact, just recently I was working with somebody uh, connected to a shoe, um, a shoe manufacturer. And we tested, I think, like 11 or 12 different really obvious brands. You know, we like we were looking at like the on cloud surfer. We were looking at like the Pegasus 37, I think it was like the real classic shoes that everyone's buying. And this particular runner, the gate, we just couldn't pull anything out of his gate data of any use. And the reason why was because he would just overpower the shoe. So it goes back to something that Ben O'Nick at the University of Calgary um, sort of referred to, uh, which is related, which is called um, this preferred movement path paradigm. Um, so some people are so well trained 
and their movement patterns, um, how they electrically fire the muscles and everything, is so ingrained and well-trained and they're so strong that they can compensate for the shoe, basically. So you can't, if you put them in 12 different shoes, you won't see these things lighten up. Uh, whereas you can go to a sensitive run and we have tons that we work with in RunScribe around the world and you just slightly switch the shoe and it's like, boom, the data suddenly flips and changes. Um, and so it, it, you kind of have to say, well, which, you know, what kind of run am I working with here? And am I going to get something out of it? And um, we work with some shoe stores who were really interested, you know, in like, oh yeah, we can use this wearable tech and we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to prescribe exactly the right shoe when a person comes in the store and like, you know, we've got 30 shoes on the shelf and we'll know exactly which one they should. And then we, you know, you start to talk to them and they start to realize, oh, okay, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's really, it's really not that easy. Because if you get one of these runners who's just going to, who's just going to mask the, the shoe changes because they're so strong or, or whatever, like, then it doesn't really work because they could, and, and those, those runners that are like that, they can wear multiple different types of shoe. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Like you, you, you could never say, Hey, you can only wear this one model because that would just be totally nonsense. Like they could wear multiple um, types of shoe and be all right. So, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that actually, because a few, well, I'm probably talking five or six years ago, I used to pronate or supinate quite a lot. Um, and I was wearing Pegasus 34s probably at the time. And I had to move away into hokers because they were a lot more, and I stopped pronating and my Achilles got much better. And then yeah. years and years later now, obviously training a lot more, more strengthening, more stability work, just more mileage. I've now got a pair of Pegasus 37s and I can I can run them fine without any Achilles problems. Right. It's just it's funny how it's changed over the years where before a shoe made all the difference. And now it's yeah. sort of like I've probably got five different brands, like five different brands of shoe, all different models of shoe, what I interchange mm. between training and literally the only thing I can tell the difference is if one's got like a, a better foaming or one's got a different plate and or whatever, like there's never mm -hmm. any difference in terms of my sort of the way my foot plants and stuff or very noticeable differences anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's really interesting kind of like a subject, you know, we could kind of wax on about for like hours and days even. And, um, you know, honestly, like there's a, there is still a bunch of trial and error to it. And part of what we encourage people to do with our technology, because it's relatively affordable compared to gate analysis technologies is, is to actually use the tech as a way of not giving you the answer instantly because it won't do that. But it's a way of like, when you do experiment, you can actually track the, the result of the experiment. And you can actually put some numbers to it rather than just like, oh, it felt like this or it felt like that. Um, I mean, I've had some like quick wins when I've been working, you know, um, in physio clinics with runners um, uh, back in Canada, where I was in Canada before. Um, I worked uh, a couple of years ago with somebody who was like representing in the, in the world 50K in Romania. And, uh, and he, he was wearing ultras, like low profile, you know, no, uh, no heel toe drop and just had Achilles problems after Achilles problems all the time. And he just wouldn't have got to the world 50 K. And in his particular case, it was just dead easy. It was just like, switch the shoes up, give yourself something underneath the heel, um, take a bit of the, uh, load off the Achilles. And, um, and that was, that was kind of enough for him really. Um, and then the Achilles problems got under control and then he was able to train and he went and raced in that race. Um, but then it can be other people is are just completely different. Like um, you kind of go to the obvious solution and it's like, nah, they still got a problem. <laughs> and you're like, okay, it wasn't the obvious solution. Um, yeah. Uh, and I've definitely had people come to the clinic in the past, like when I've been working it, they've been through like so many shoes and you're, you're kind of there scratching your head thinking, wow, 
how much money have you wasted? Like they've been, they've been through, they've had like 20 different pairs of shoes. Um, and maybe the problem was actually just, you know, kind of a functional strength problem, not I think anything to do with the shoe at all. It was like, they just needed some real good clinical support. So um, yeah, I, I kind of like learned over, like by getting my own fingers burnt over the years, like assume nothing about a runner um, and, and try not to jump to conclusions like super quick. Yeah. With that, with that in mind, obviously there's so many different runners with so many different forms and exact and how they plant their feet and everything like that. And without getting into any particular cases, which I'm sure we will do in a few minutes, but what what do you sort of look for when you're working with these brands? Like, what data is the main look when they're trying to get the perfect shoe? Obviously, there isn't a perfect shoe, but what do they actually look for as the most like key factors? What suggests that this shoe is better than another shoe? Yeah, that's a good one, actually. So I can give you the perspective of sort of of the neutral person on the outside, <laughs> creating, you know, actually um, in control of the metric sort of side of it. Um, if you've got someone actually from inside a shoe company, they might have a slightly different view um, or they might they might tell you something that's politically correct for their company. But I, yeah, I can sort of give you a neutral kind of view on it. Um, it's a good one, right? Because people I mean, performance has been the main thing. I think performance has been a much bigger driver for selling shoes and for shoe companies than injury prevention has. Um, so ignoring what's happening now and just in the last year, if you go back in the past, it's really been about performance and making people faster, uh, making people more efficient. So, for example, like to pull on that thread, like if you want to make somebody more efficient, one of the ways that you can do that, um, obviously, you don't want um, energy to be dissipated and lost. So they when they strike the ground, they, they apply a force into the ground and then a reaction force comes back the other way into the body. And when it comes back the other way into the body, then the runner has to use it to propel themselves. They have to react off the ground. And if you can make a shoe that kind of augments that uh, reaction, the effect of that reaction force, um, you, you can start to propel them forward more effectively and efficiently, and then they can have a longer stride length, that kind of stuff. Uh, so then you get into kind of foams and things like that. And what, what are you doing with foams, uh, which has obviously sort of jumped, kind of leaped forward. The funny thing about that story, you know, with... Um, because I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, with um, with this uh, particular type of PBAX type of foam is um, I didn't know this story until actually um, about a year and a half ago, someone told me, but actually Timberland were the first company in the industry to actually have PBAX. And actually they worked with it years and years ago, but it wasn't for running shoes. It was actually, you know, because, you know, Timberland aren't famous for running shoes. They, they, they make other kinds of footwear. So, um, so the PBAX type foam and the kind of derivatives of it, the other versions of it that have appeared so recently, that foam has actually been in circulation for a long time. It's just that nobody joined the dots of what it could do until, until a lot more recently. But that's, with the, that's kind of the foam side of it. The other thing that you can do to make um, a running shoe and hence the runner like way more efficient, faster, et cetera, is you can cut down on all the lost um, motion, basically. So, um, you, you know, you're talking about like um, about this idea of your ankles rolling in and out. So whether it, what we call inversion, eversion of the, of the, of the foot and ankle and um, like that's something you can cut down on because it's kind of like lost motion and lost energy because it's not going in the direction that you, that you want to propel yourself forward. Kind of like with the sprinter, you know, when you're coaching a sprinter who's obviously dealing with very much higher force, forces and loads that you try and keep things pointing in a straight direction. You don't want them kind of like sending forces off, you know, obliquely. And um, so if you can cut down those motions, you can make a faster shoe and a faster runner. And so that's where we get into exactly what you talked about there, which is like this kind of um, inward roll, outward roll control. 
but then also like we talked about ride if you can augment the the ride signature of the shoe um how it rolls through the contact and propels you forward that can also make you more efficient too and as I, i'm sure we'll get into it here you know in the old days we had we had plastic plates in the shoes you know we had um you know old style kind of um slight you know reasonably flexible plates in the shoes i mean if i think back to the my favorite shoe of all time as a racing shoe like from the outside which would be like the the zoom streak the zoom streak three so the, the one that really kind of so many records are broken with and i can we can all remember sort of the kaylee was uh, was a fan of it and used that shoe a lot to great effect you know a shoe like that it was just that's just a plastic plate um that sits in the shoe quite high up in the midsole area um so that's kind of what we had and the whole idea of that is again to um to just cut down on lost motion and lost energy um and just try and roll the runner through the contact as efficiently as possible yeah that that plate and the streak and the, also the streak LT took some getting used to it. It almost feels like a wooden plank what's underneath your foot. It's, it's weird going back now. Joe, like the new era of like high stack shoes, it's so strange going back to running a streak because it just feels like a completely different, <laughs> like different shoe completely. Um, so getting into the specific, specific use cases, um, I guess there's one particular story I would like to touch on more than, more than others or the one I've heard. So uh, do you sort of want to, take us back to that and then sort of sure. I guess talk through it if you'd like yeah yeah so the kind of backstory to it um uh, so so I guess yeah you know Nike always had this sort of a dream um certainly since uh well I mean if we, if we back up even way more if we go back to even 2013 when Gabriel Selassie was starting to talk about like the two-hour marathon right um and I just I just absolutely remember that classic race in, in 2013 in October in um uh, outside Newcastle, of course, the um, the Great North Run, when you know Mo went up against um, you know Gibbous Lassie and Bacali, and and the talk then was not just about the race; it was like people were already talking about the two-hour barrier, and um, Gibbous Lassie was like you know really kind of promoting it, and you know Adidas were going to be involved, and you know um, a guy called Yanis Pitsalidis was going to be sort of like leading the group and all this kind of stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, there wasn't a huge amount of there wasn't enough money and enough momentum behind that project originally with with Adidas. Um, and then, of course, Nike say, well, they had about the same time, the same kind of idea. Well, we kind of didn't see that in, in the public until later. Um, a guy called Sandy Bodecker had this idea, at least, that he was cultivating, which was like break two hours. And then, of course, it became sort of more clear in sort of 2015, 16. And, um, uh, and then, of course, they brought out the, the update to the Zoom streak, um, where it got wider in the toe box, and, um, which would be like the number, the number five and then going on to the six. And then, of course, we had the Olympic trials. I think that's where people started to see that something was going on, was in those Olympic trials uh, for the US team, for the marathon, um, uh, prior to the uh, Rio Olympics. And a number of the runners had uh, what, what looked like a bit like Zoom streaks that had been completely sort of twisted up with way more um, uh, midsole foam underneath. And, of course, um, you know, uh, people like Galen Rupp ran really well in that race. And... Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of where the experimentation was happening on, on the basis of the Zoom Street, um, which then, of course, was all about was all getting towards like uh, breaking the two hour barrier. And then we were kind of like on the sidelines of this. And I personally was just kind of watching what was happening and watching the prototypes um, uh, come out of it. It wasn't actually until I think uh, the very early part of 2018 when Nike actually kind of came to us and said, hey, we're building this kit that's going to go out into the field 
and um and basically what you guys have got is what we need um and the reasons for that were basically because it was extremely small and light i mean it's 15 grams tiny tiny pod and it snaps on and off the shoes incredibly quickly and you can download the data very fast so it was perfect for what nike wanted um so we basically kind of opened up the system um that it could hook into a nike system and uh and so what happened was at this point in early 18 they had pretty advanced versions of the uh of the vaporfly being tested um out obviously in kenya with um with the guys two people in particular with kichogi and um and kamura and so yeah so nike put together this system uh they used like a 945 garmin watch um and kind of like um kind of engineered it themselves with their own app and stuff on it and it was basically pulling the data from our pods that were on the feet um so yeah the kits went out to uh, uh to kenya to the cap to gap group um uh, for, for for joffrey and um elliot to wear and um and there's a guy called brett and there's another lady that works with brett who were going out there kind of regularly with new prototypes and then they would be looking at the data that came back you know does prototype number two look better than prototype number one in the data and what they're really kind of using our technology for and also they're using heart rate monitors as well was to figure out if the shoe was making the runners more efficient because that's really what they're getting to they realize like we all understand the marathon's about efficiency and about um you know keeping certain physiological metrics under control for the entire two hours like under you know under wraps and so that's what they were trying to figure out um so even after um 17 when they did that test obviously um the um uh, the monster uh race circuit um test um yeah they were trying to get more data basically on uh, on efficiency and i mean it ultimately led obviously to the to the a vaporfly shoe that people could buy after and then obviously into the alpha fly as well so uh, my kind of uh sort of hands-on experience of it um besides just like data was um was going out there in 2019 uh, february 2019 and actually kind of seeing from my own eyes like what was going on and um um uh, just being there kind of trackside watching some of the uh, workouts um and then the the road workouts that they were doing as well just outside elderet um and so yeah it was kind of funny to watch from an outside i think i can pretty much say this stuff now because i think it's all i don't think anyone cares about <laughs> privacy anymore you know the shoes have come out and stuff but um but yeah so you know elliot uh, for example you know he'd kind of like do a warm-up and then um switch the shoes into the prototype shoes because he, he wouldn't necessarily warm up in the prototype shoes and then the, the prototypes would go on and then um he'd he'd snap on our pods onto the prototype shoes and then obviously, and then do the kind of like middle part of a workout if it was like that top, if it was that style of a workout um so yeah uh and then uh the curious thing for me was like is i thought i kind of assumed that he knew he'd seen data and he knew exactly what it was all doing but actually it turned out he didn't and um and so yeah so when i talked to him he was like oh no i don't really understand like uh you know it goes to nike and they understand and i was like oh okay right so i gave him a, a kind of a bit of a like you know <laughs> without sort of like uh you know saying things i shouldn't have said with nike but i, I kind of gave him a bit of a heads up on like what, what style of data it was that was being collected and what have you um so that was kind of cool um yeah so then i guess they they were using that through 19 and then created the alpha fly and then obviously ran and later on in 19 and in, in the, in the two-hour attempt and broke the broke the two-hour record so yeah so i guess yeah the long story short is um we believe anyway nike got like a fair amount of value out of it <laughs> like um developing like uh 
some pretty stellar selling shoes <laughs> that went on to change uh, went on to change uh, road running. I think I, I think that's true, right? I, that the shoes have made had a huge um, huge impact on road running. So um, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting one. To, yeah. Yeah, I think it's an understatement saying that they've had a, an effect on the road running because they, def they definitely have. <laughs> um, and also, the, the technology is sort of going over onto the track now. And have you had a have you had a chance to look at any data from those uh, spikes or anything like that? Um, I haven't yet. Like uh, personally, um, I get really kind of um, bogged down, unfortunately, because we're only a small company with like limited numbers of people. So, um, so I get really bogged down with just 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 road running and trail running right now. Um, so I haven't had time to really look at uh, what's going on with. What they called they called dragonflies. They the they, um no what they called now the uh, the new ones. Yeah, the the well the main culprits. See, this is the thing. It's it's the, all the haters of these shoes choose 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 a spike and then pick, hop onto a different spike. So originally it was the dragonfly. What was getting all the attention? Obviously, Nike released the dragonfly and the Azum Victory, and now people start to run fast in the Azum Victory, even though they were wearing it last year and the year before that and wasn't running as quick. But now <laughs> they're running faster. They care about the Azum Victory, so that's the one with the bubble. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, the Dragonfly is still a very good shoe as well, but it seems like uh, everyone everyone's hating on the bubble spike now at the minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's kind of um, you know, I can imagine that like, psychologically the difference. Obviously, like when you're going around a track, it's so much more constrained, and it's so much more obvious. Like if someone has an advantage or not, compared to the marathon, where some things kind of even out over a marathon because maybe the person didn't hydrate properly or they didn't have a good night's sleep or something. And then you can't tell whether it's the shoe or like the person or whatever. But yeah, I can imagine in the contr more controlled environment of the track, it's like it could get more controversial. Yeah. I think, I think Nike, Nike had a sprint spike, a sprint spike. What was literally essentially a spike with like a spring, like everyone always jokes about how the springs, but it was literally a spring at the forefront. And that got, that got shelved. Like I think last month that like, I said, yeah, we're not, we're not bringing this out. I think a lot of the competitors like complained about it because apparently it would have literally yeah. made someone run like just absolutely destroy Usain Bolt's world records overnight. <laughs> so it's probably best that that stayed behind. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of like uh, a lot of my time, like personally, and, and, and a lot of kind of focus has kicked off. I'd say in the last two years in the trail running space, and I imagine that probably trail running is not like sort of the biggest part of your audience, but um, but it's kind of intriguing me a lot. The trail running space. I don't know about yourself, but um, because in the, I saw it in the older days, like in the past, as being kind of this fringe sport. And, um, and people were pretty kind of like intense and pretty like full on, you know, kind of like the sort of people living out the back of their car type, you know, doing uh, big mountain trail ultra stuff like that. But it's getting more and more like kind of mainstream attention nowadays. Um, and more and more people want to go and run like UTMB or whatever the race is. And, um, and then there's more road runners having a go at it as well, like because they're just fed up with like pounding on the roads. And it's been interesting from from our side, you know, from a data side and from a technology side, again, watching the shoe manufacturers go after it. Um, because once the whole, you know, kind of P-back style foam and carbon plate thing had sort of started to play out on the road, people were instant in the shoe companies, people were instantly thinking, what about the trail? Like, what how do we apply this to the trail? You know, and I was lucky, I was sort of party to some conversations and um where that was sort of like clearly the agenda. Um, and it's been interesting actually now to start seeing that play out a little bit. Um, I've heard really good reviews of the, uh, the Vective shoe, the, the North Face um, shoe with a carbon plate. And, um, and clearly there's a whole bunch of others coming out, you know, Salomon are doing like some big work and, uh, and what have you. So um, that's been a lot of a kind of um, sort of taking my focus a little bit in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah. 
I think I think the trail and like the ultra space have so many different variables what are going into a race. It's always handy to be able to control a few of those variables with whatever like shoes, hydration, etc. So I think it's a really interesting sport because again, every single course differs so much. So it's really nice to be able to have something like consistent, which would be the shoes or whatever. So I can imagine that's quite interesting to again to look at the data and how people differ on different terrains and different hills and slopes and stuff yeah and that's something we sort of built into the tech like uh, really early on was the ability to tag anything and everything and um so especially things like terrain um we put the uh, barometer on the circuit board like um like uh, a while back you know to, to get the elevation profiles and i kind of, i guess yeah like um you know even uh, whether it's trail or whether it's um whether it's just doing long runs on a road um you know that 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 stuff does play in so as you can logically imagine you know somebody runs uphill um their form will, pro- will most likely change compared to running downhill but also then the, obviously the numbers from a gait analysis change as well you know um higher impact and force and that kind of thing running downhill um generally people tend to kind of switch on the neuromuscular system much better on the way uphill um which then gets means they can they can control joint motions stuff like that better when they're going uphill um, so we found that to be really, really, um, really important to have uh, ha- have an elevation curve there that's kind of like there with all the gate data. So, you know, like, oh, was this just because the person ran uphill? And it's been really interesting, like um, doing data collections over like, um, you know, up to 20 hours on some of these trail ultras where people are literally running up and down like five, six uh, mountains during the entire race. And it's, it's, it's just you get the data back um, and you're just looking through this huge mass of data and you're like, and you can see in the elevation profile when they've gone up and down a mountain and then you can kind of subset the data and you can be you can compare like when they went up the mountain to when they came down the mountain <laughs> and and see the differences you know, in, in the gate um, but it even flies the same for um for people doing long runs who are doing the marathon i mean i again i remember watching elliot's group outside of um uh outside of um uh, Eldoret, you know on a tuesday uh run no, not a tuesday run a monday run Tuesday do a track session so Monday run and they run up they run up a road called Kikano Road and um uh you know it's it's hilly man it's like it's like you know I was just walking up and I was like man this is some sizable hills and then you've got altitude and then towards the end of the run it's getting really hot and then you've got like dust coming up on your face you've got like kids and vehicles in your way and then the road's really rutted right so the road is like mega cambered so it's literally it's almost like a like a like a triangle shape where the road's like highest in the middle and then it's got these huge ditches off to the sides um and you think yeah again even in a run like that where they might be running say 16k which is pretty pretty much nothing for them pretty easy there's enough elevation there that you want to kind of again look at the elevation profile but understand the gate data in relation to the elevation profile so you make sure it's not just biasing the data that you're looking at and certainly when we um when we've kind of uh, helped clinics around the world we've you know we said to the clinics like if you can run people outside, that's awesome. But run them on a flat course outside when you're doing a gate analysis, because then you just don't have that that bias. You just know that the data is more more kind of trustworthy. Yeah. And one question I was curious to ask you is: Is there any sort of data or any specific data from from a from a specific shoe or a specific runner what's just completely shocked you or like really surprised you, or is there any like data what you just find really interesting? Um. I tell you, I mean, to tell you one like uh, kind of extreme example. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I shouldn't sort of pick on um, pick on Africans too much, um, uh, but um, but it's really interesting when you do get African, you do collect data on a bunch of runners, um, especially like elite level runners. 
how much they vary you know like um you know you can have a kipchoge in the group whose form is just in- impeccable i mean just incredible i mean uh even at the end of like you know 10 reps of like extremely fast 12,000 meter intervals like his form just never breaks it's just it's just i don't, I don't know the guy's like on, from, from another planet um but then you've got people around him obviously their, form, their form's kind of scraggly from like the very, from the first two minutes and you, you're sort of like scratching your head and you're like you're talking to the coach and like you know, you know that guy that person there kind of like stop going sideways and so went forward. it could be really good um so i've never i've been just like constantly surprised by how fast some people can run and the kind of marathon times they can put out and you're like wow because the gate date is not good <laughs> like you know um and uh so, so i've seen some uh, some really wild like um left right asymmetries and, and things like that um you know their legs just don't go in straight you know in straight lines when they're running and yet the, the the times that they can post are just are, are astonishing, um, which kind of plays back to like, firstly, how good could they be if they actually kind of worked on their functional strength of form? But then second point is like, uh, maybe don't mess with it because maybe there's something they don't understand that actually works for them in some kind of a way. Um, something in the nervous system or what have you in their training uh, and their motor programs that we just don't want to mess with because it, it seems to be all right. Um, and then on the opposite side of that, I've measured some people um, or analyzed some data from some people who are just off the couch, like very little training at all, slightly overweight. Um, and they've had like zero asymmetries. And I've run them, you know, I've tested them at like multiple speeds in the same session. And they will not shift from a zero asymmetry. And I'm like looking at, I'm like switching the, switching the sensors out and making sure like nothing's not, like is, it, is something broken here and it's like no there's like nothing broken like this person has just come off the couch and has zero asymmetries through their data um so that's one of the things that's always like kind of makes me kind of like smile is just is how you can have like really extreme performance levels but they have nothing to do with whether the person has good gate data or not um it can be completely opposite um and then there's just always people, yeah, they just blow your mind because you're like this person. If you look at it really simply, it says this person should get injured, uh, but, they don't, but they're not injured. And it kind of then challenges you to look at more detail in the data, like what is it that's keeping them injury free? And then that's why we compute so many metrics is to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would be I would be I would, ex, I would sort of say to people, you know, be cautious if you're going to spend money on something that only computes or only shows you like a few metrics, because the chances are there's something getting getting missed in that data and it's probably not going to be your sort of like silver bullet thing that's going to um you know sort your running out for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah but the, honestly that's something i find so interesting more than anything is the fact like you can literally probably tell if someone's going to get injured based off if they're changing their form because like how how accurate and well how detailed does this go like how uh, sensitive is it in terms mm. of marginal changes is it quite uh, yeah. obvious or yeah it can get it can get super sensitive um so you know you can you can calculate data at um a thousand times a second for example so um that's kind of the max um that's possible today really for a kind of affordable sensor is is that the sampling will be about a thousand times a second now a thousand times a second doesn't mean anything to anyone because like that's even like like a blink of an eye like what do you do with that much data you know um, but what it can do is if you're really clever with it, you can you can use it for calibrations all the time. So it makes the data more reliable and accurate over the time. 
Um, but then uh, I think the key thing, like in terms of sensitivities, if somebody was just like slightly changing or they changed their shoe very slightly or their terrain, um, you can figure that stuff out. The key is, um, is taking account for all the other variables. So um, you, have to, you have to know that that, has, that effect hasn't come from something else. That's definitely coming from the runner's mechanics. Um, so for that, you need context, basically. So you have to know, you know, what was the train they ran on? What was the shoe they ran in? Um, you know, what was their injury history, potentially, something like that. Um, so once you kind of account for the other things that can bias the data, then you can actually get into some real kind of small sensitivities. And for some people I've seen, I mean, I've, I've looked at about 300,000 data sets now over the years. And I'd say, yeah, for some people that is possible that you can see like, you can see like, say a three to 5% change. And that is, that is actually what is uh, going to link to them uh, starting to get sore or not getting sore um, towards an injury. Um, so for some people, it can be like that, but then it comes back to that point that we said before, you know, like that not everyone's the same. There are these people that can just kind of power their way through. So for them, it's like, it's really difficult to work with those guys because uh, they can, they can have uh, much bigger asymmetries or like more extreme numbers and then not necessarily getting injured, or at least their data isn't, isn't correlating like exactly. Um, so those ones are hard, harder to figure out. So there's no kind of like two runners that are really the same in that way. Um, and that's kind of what we advocate for a lot, like with the tech is, um, and we keep the price point down for that reason. And we keep the battery life as long as we can is so that people can measure themselves or another person for a long period of time. Right. Um, because, uh, because nobody, no two runners are quite the same. The only way to get around that is to monitor a runner again, again, like multiple times, right? And you get to learn that runner. Um, so I'm kind of quite against the old school idea in a gate analysis, which is, which is the person signs up for one time. They come, they go to the place once for that one gate analysis, which lasts about half an hour, an hour, and it's like, okay, what's that telling us? Because you know, um, I've been a, I've been a test dummy before. Like I've, do, I've gone to places to test their gate analysis and pretended that I knew nothing, right? Like, like as if I was a runner. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, but what if, what if I just like had been running, and just like partially injured myself, and I came here? That's gonna bias the data, right? Uh, you know, what if I'm like half asleep during the gate analysis, and I just run like really sloppily, right? Um, and there's always things, so that's, that's the one of the things that kind of has always bugged me is this, this kind of like one-time gate analysis. You get, if, whoever's doing the gate analysis is going to be really lucky to see the full picture in that one time in maybe half an hour. But when you're measuring stuff over long periods of time for a particular runner, then that's where the real power comes in because then you figure out like, ah, this is not normal for this runner. Uh, last last time I uh, went to buy some running shoes uh, from a shop, I got so I went on the treadmill. I'd ran down there, so it was like a five k warm up, um, and I got I got on the treadmill and I loved the shoes on the treadmill. I really yeah. loved them; they felt amazing. I tried on a few different pairs, and this pair felt amazing. Left the store, started running home. I've never run in the shoes ever again because I hated them. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> um, they, they just felt they just felt dreadful. Like they felt amazing on the treadmill at the time, but then I've probably done I've, I lie, I've probably done two runs in them, and I haven't chosen to run in them again because I really did, I really don't like them. And obviously, I can't return them because I uh, did runs in them outside. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's um, I noticed that as well. Like a bunch of the kind of classic shoes, the famous shoes that are coming out right now, 
uh, not like specific manufacturing necessarily, but how the shoe, not all of the shoes, but just some of them, how they're filling to the runner uh, straight, straight, like the first time they put them on their first time they run is something totally different to how they feel like after 40 Ks of running them. And there's a, there's a bunch of shoes out there right now, very popular shoes that that's the feedback that, that I've heard and that we're getting is, um, you know, so some people are actually saying like, I don't want that shoe. Like that's not, I tried that shoe and it didn't, that shoe's not for me. Uh, but actually after 40 Ks, if they stuck with the shoe, it may well have been the shoe for them. Um, because the nature of, of some of these shoes is just like that. Like you have to break it in. Uh, and then it becomes like a completely different experience <laughs> afterwards. Well, in, interestingly, I, I'm going to name drop a shoe here, but the, Joe, the Nike Vermeero, that shoe in particular, after about 100 miles, starts giving me pain on the top of my foot, just that right. shoe. And if I take the shoe off and we'll put a different shoe on, the pain's not there. So it's not even like it's caused this pain. It's only there when I'm wearing that shoe after a certain amount of distance. And I did it, and it happened in the Vermeero 14 and in the Vermeero 15. So it's just strange how things like that work. Um, yeah. Obviously, conscious of time, because we've, we've been going for an hour so far, which has gone very quickly because it's interesting talking about all this stuff. What what sort of future plans going forward? Um, seems as shoe innovation now is seem to be, seems to be like the forefront of the sport. What what sort of things are you and Runscribe looking to do in the next few years? Yeah, for us, uh, first we've got to keep going as a company. That's the first thing. <laughs> like everybody, <laughs> got to keep trying to grow and like. Uh, uh you know keep uh, keep bringing in money and stuff um yeah it's a really good point like what uh specifically in, in in running i mean i think we've seen the start of something in the last year which is okay uh now we've got shoes that make us that make us faster or help us run faster i shouldn't say make us faster because we have to still put the force into the ground as runners in the first place but um we're starting to see a bit of a shift now uh toward okay how can we make um or at least attempt to make the shoe useful for injury prevention and obviously yeah, nike made a big play there you know two two prominent shoes and the invincible obviously is like the, the most recent version of it um and it's just like it's inevitable you know other companies are going to go there uh we've seen already i think it was not that long maybe it was that not this year's but last year's ces uh expo in the u.s pretty sure it was uh asics that had the stand there and they were showing a shoe there what they call a smart shoe um sort of sort of going in the same sort of path so i think that's um kind of on the bubble right now like in terms of um what's going on and a lot of these things i mean it's just like carbon plating and other stuff i mean carbon plates were around like years and years before nike even started putting them in the racing shoes um it takes one company or two companies to spend a ton of money and then show the way and then everyone else jumps on it. So I think there could be something happening right now with that, with um, quote unquote injury prevention type shoes uh, that people will get into. And you can imagine like people like Topo Athletic and Ultra who have always sort of been in that space anyway, trying to make more natural style shoes. There's no way that they can't sort of like, you know, they can't just sort of watch that pass them by. I mean, they have, they would have to get involved too. So, um, so I, I think there's something going on there. And I think that really is uh, for us in, in, in Runscribe, we can actually add more value there than the performance um, development of shoes um, because it's going to get very gray and it's going to 
get like kind of contentious and a bit ambiguous and it's going to be like you know are these shoes really making a difference is it the shoe like and how do you how do you prove that how you measure that like it's going to get a bit sort of funky so um that kind of is uh, music to our ears in a way because I, I feel like that's where we can add a whole bunch of knowledge and value um probably over the next like year to five years um i mean there's a the whole thing about smart shoes right and it's been around for a long time i mean nike dropped the um uh, well, they put the uh, the Nike Plus uh, pod inside the, ins the the sole of the shoe in the past, and then they sort of pulled it all because it just didn't work, and they weren't selling the shoe, and no one cared. Um, but then they carried on developing it, and they're still working on that concept today, even. And um, and other manufacturers are, like I mentioned, Asics um, uh, at the expo. So smart shoes have to make a comeback. Um, there are certain things I think this is just my opinion, but there are certain things I think that are ultimately inevitable in the future it just depends how long they take to happen so smart shoes are inevitable um and i just in the same way that i think smart clothing is inevitable you know clothing that um can measure the temperature of the skin and like figure out whether you need to be cooling down or warming up all that kind of stuff so i think all that's going to happen uh what's stopping it right now is is how you actually action it and how you make it sell shoes because uh, you've got to make it simple enough for the consumer they can digest it and action it real quick, but it's got to be legit at the same time and reliable. Otherwise, you know, you get a bad rep in the industry. Um, and that's what, because uh, people have had their fingers burnt in the past, that's where the shoe manufacturers are really taking their time right now before releasing something because they don't want it to crash. They don't want it to, to burn. So, um, so at some point it's inevitable this is all going to come back and it's going to happen. And there's going to be some sort of a day when, when you run with a pair of, uh, you know, AirPods or whatever it is, and you're just getting audio feedback or maybe it's I don't, some other feedback, you know, because the shoe is basically measuring stuff and telling you like it's figuring out that your, that your cadence or your step rate is too low or that, you, you know, you need to change this or change that. That kind of like instantaneous coaching built into a manufacturer's app, like, for example, Nike, the Nike Plus app, that kind of thing is, is just inevitable. And uh, you know as well, I mean, it's just logic that it's also going to tell you what, what model of shoe you need to buy next as well. <laughs> and it'll always be the same branded shoe. What, some yes. form of... <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very biased if, if that's the case. If it's from a specific brand, it's just be like, you need to buy this shoe, even though a different brand shoe would probably be 10 well, times it's gonna, better. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just going to emphasize because all the brands will then catch up and have their version. And it's just going to emphasize this whole thing, you know, where when you meet runners and they're like, they just like a certain brand <laughs> and they're just like, oh, I just like new balance. That's my thing. Like, <laughs> but I think that's the, where the beauty of someone like you comes in where it's like, it's unbiased. So you sort of, you're getting the actual data, what's actually not manipulated in a way to make you stay buying a certain shoe or whatever. So that's, that's something will never be redundant is the, is the authenticity of results. I think, because a lot of people yeah. can give these almost not fake, but like manipulated results but it only gives you half half of what you're looking at. So I think that's the beauty of it. If as long as you can stay unbiased, which I, which I can imagine can be quite challenging at sometimes when people are like, oh, can, can we sort of collaborate with this? And then you know, we suggest people buy our shoes and stuff. But as, as long as there's yeah. authenticity there, that's I think that's the main thing people look at in terms of shoes. But yeah, there's so many different people who are just like, I'm gonna stick with these because I, I know someone who gets injured like not not frequently but who gets injured but the adamant and sticking with the same shoes and it's yeah. like mm, i mean <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> yeah, there's always, uh, I think every running club on the planet has, um, has at least a few of these people. And, um, and they just, yeah, I mean, they buy into the culture and the style of the brand um, and what the brand stands for. And, and that's them then. That's kind of like part of their running identity, I guess. Um, and um, yeah, definitely seen that with some of the more kind of like niche brands, I would say. Um, yeah, the mainstream brands are, are different, but the kind of the more, the smaller scale kind of niche brands, they definitely seem to have the hardcore following and then um, people are just fully, fully bought into what it means to wear that shoe. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, where can people obviously learn more, maybe, by uh inscribe where, where where can people find you obviously social media and also online yeah uh absolutely yeah so it's um we keep it pretty simple so it's run scribe so scribe as in uh, writing something and um yeah you can just kind of google that the website has um runscribe.com has information about the product um yeah obviously you can figure out how to buy it there it's all just done through the website there's no kind of we don't go through stores actually um uh because we we, we, we had a look at that in the past and it wasn't going to work out. Um, so it's through the website and we kind of ship it around the world. So wherever you are, you, know, you can uh, generally get hold of it. And um, yeah, what we try and do on the website is just have some sort of like some key snippets of information. There's a blog there. Um, anyone that's kind of interested in geeking out actually, um, because probably if you listen to this and you're interested in wearable technology, you probably have some element of wanting to geek out a little bit. Uh, actually on the blog, we have a really interesting um, uh, article. Uh, it was put together for us by some guys in Spain at a university in Madrid. So it's not the most recent article. It's like the one before that. Uh, and what it does is it actually has a, a graph, like a plot of every one of our metrics. And it shows how the metric changes with increasing pace. And what they did is they measured 800 people on a treadmill um, in controlled conditions, everyone running at the same pace increments every single time. And so they figured that they could figure this stuff out, which is fantastic. And we just, you know, we, I guess we could have kept it for ourselves and said it was worth money, but we're like, that's not kind of our style, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> you know, probably to the detriment of um, revenue dollars, we, we tend, we try and like open things up as much as possible. So, um, so we just stuck it on the website there. You can go to the blog section and find it and read it. And, and I think it's kind of interesting, like, you know, for a quick read to see how different, different metrics change with pace. I mean, if I pull on one, for example, like pronation, you know, you mentioned pronation. So pronation angle and how it how it's changing as, as you run and you strike the ground and then you kind of pronate, um, you know that has a relationship to pace. So if you take a runner and they and you increase the pace they're running at systematically, you'll see that the pronation will change with them. Um, and so we've got all of those like graphs basically just there to go check out on the website in the blog section. Um, and otherwise, yes, kind of social media is just pretty obvious, like uh, runscribe um, hashtag runscribe or at runscribe. Um, and what we're trying to do, we've been really trying really hard to do uh, recently in the last few months is on Instagram is just keep uh, showing like other people's kind of stories and kind of uses, you know, rather than us just being promoting the product through Instagram and saying, oh, we're so great. Um, we're trying really hard at the moment to actually show other people's stories and other people's um, the data that they want uh, that's OK to share just so that there's kind of knowledge basically just getting out there like everyone can see or get inspiration from some other person in the world that's using the system so yeah and i'll leave all the links in the description of this podcast if you're on spotify or apple music or whatever uh, so you can check that out and then also if 
there will be an Instagram post and we'll also tag you in it as well. So then people who want to go across to Instagram can see it that way as well. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we'll leave all the links in the description so it's easy to find and then we can take it from there. And also probably stay tuned because we'll probably be doing some other things in terms of articles and maybe some videos and uh, stuff like that coming forward as well. So that's great. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I know a lot of people have found this very interesting, especially I'm just going to personally shout out someone if he's, because I know he's listening to this part. So Michael, I'm sure you've enjoyed this podcast very much. Uh, but yeah, so thank you for coming on. It's been really interesting and we'll uh, we'll work on some other things in, in the near future. Awesome. Yeah, cheers, Alfie. I appreciate it. Thanks. No worries.